there will be no real non-controlled currency in the world. Exciting time to be involved in Bitcoin Cash at the moment. During that whole war, fighting versus big blocks, like were we the bad guys? Were we the ones that went listening? Fundamentally, we believe in markets, transparency, and tokenization. Come on, you gotta come stronger than that, you know, like. Now I gotta get that right as well, Matthew. Shurkins, but yeah, Shurkins in English. In English, okay. it's hard to pronounce. Yeah, Shurkins. Shurkins, Matthew Shurkins. All right. Yeah, I'll do. My, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. All right. <laughs> you. Hang on. Can we please add Roger parting with the crew? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. We're good to go. Thanks. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Take two. Okay. Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast, following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency. This is episode number 77, Cash Tokens and Community Collaboration, featuring Matthew Hurkins. Uh Hopefully yeah, I got that, got that yeah, right. Exactly. That was, that's it. Perfect. All right. There we go. I'm on a roll. Uh, today is Saturday, the 22nd of April, 2023. I'm your host, Jeremy Jet is in the producer's chair, same as always. And our guest is a full-time Bitcoin Cash developer that I've just learned for the last year and moderator of the BCH, what's it called? BCH channel on, yeah, on exactly. Telegram, one of the biggest hubs for discussion of the uh, Bitcoin Cash community, especially through the whole years with the fork wars and everything, I expect. So welcome to the show, man. How'd you get into Bitcoin? Excited to be here. Um... I first learned about Bitcoin and crypto in 2017, like yeah, the big bullion. And then uh, it took me like a year. So the first crypto I got into was actually uh, Ethereum and Litecoin because uh, Bitcoin had high fees. So that, that I understood right away, Bitcoin had high fees. So got into Ethereum and a bit of Litecoin. And then it took me a year and then I discovered all about the block size wars and the scaling debates and uh, so and, and then i became a, a bitcoin cash reporter like in 2018 i think in the summer and been since so what was that like i'm always curious to hear everybody's story you know we've had the whole gamut from people who were you know in before the fork in after the fork in during the fork found their way one side to the other different ways some people did it like quickly some people did it like slowly step by step they had to try a bunch of other stuff it sounds like it took you, you know, maybe a year or so, but you were relatively quick to get to the the bottom of it, it sounds like. And I just, for me, it's always hard to imagine because I, you know, when I found Bitcoin, it, it, it just was Bitcoin, right? So the it having high fees was not like something I had to unlearn. I just mm-hmm. always took it to be that way. But did, yeah, did you find that bizarre? Or could, yeah, just tell me about that. Yeah, so it was a bit of a confusing time to get into Bitcoin because I remember watching Segwit videos and Segwit 2x and what, what to be excited about, but I didn't understand any of it pretty much. So I left that by the wayside and then, yeah, I kept trying to learn. Also went on a bit of a detour, like with uh, ASIC resistant mining, with third, all kinds of detours, but uh, slowly and steadily kept on learning and then. Yeah, by now I, I feel like I, I have a, a grasp on the ecosystem at least. So. Yeah, yeah, you've got it. You're fully absorbed into yeah. the 
<laughs> into the into the mess of things into our so i also remember uh the, how i uh, bought my first like crypto because i was 17 at the time uh, i'm a real millennial um, so 17 couldn't buy it from exchanges had to make an account got rejected so i bought it peer-to-peer -peer from a, a friend who had an older brother <laughs> so i just like bought in cash and then received it to my wallet so uh, i thought that was a first cool yeah cool experience the, I couldn't use exchanges, so my first experience was my own wallet, uh, non-custodial. I had to back up the keys. I, I learned it the right way, I would say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of this does seem to come down to how people learned about it, like especially in the early days if you were trying to like buy something sketchy online, you sort of had to get a bit more of a handle mm -hmm. on it, right? And then you had uh, people who got into it sort of via Coinbase or speculating or now I hear a lot of people with Binance, you know, and they sort of haven't really got got the message about it. I was talking to somebody at work uh, the other day about all this and she was asking me about it all, or what it was and crypto and everything. She actually knew quite a bit about crypto, but she was telling me that uh, she'd been using Binance or she'd seen people using Binance and all that. And she said, how is this revolutionary though? That's why I don't get everybody so excited about this. But I've just been trying this app and it hasn't <laughs> really impressed me or, or whatever. And I said, look here, let me show you. And I sent her some you know, proper non-custodial BCH. And then it was like suddenly like the lights were going on and she was like, oh, okay, wait, this is a whole, this is not sort of what I thought of as, as crypto. And there's, you know, hundreds of millions of people probably at this point in that, in that stage. So it's something we're going to see a lot of. And I think yeah. when people are talking to anyone about, about crypto, you sort of have to do a little temperature check with them as, as you're explaining it, you know, you yeah. can kind of see in their eyes and they, <laughs> exactly, are they, exactly. are they with it or not? Or, you know, sometimes they have very different ideas of, okay, yeah. is it a currency? Or is it... They, they think they know all kinds of stuff, but, they don't yeah that's that's right it's absolutely uh crazy and you also you're a software developer as well like you said you're doing it full-time for a year now so what's your sort of technical background obviously we're going to be talking a bit about that so you kind of got to impress the listeners with your credentials <laughs> uh yeah so i'm, I'm self-taught so i think that's a credential and i learned it uh because i wanted to deploy like a bitcoin cash website so i i learned about like html css like slowly from the bottom so uh didn't start with anything fancy and then over the years while i was at college so i was studying economics um and then i, I had some free time so i always kept paying to yeah it's not true that i always kept it like i found uh, i found out early that both economics and programming were my interests and i didn't know what to study in college and I ended up picking uh, economics because I thought, yeah, programming, you, there's so many resources online, you can teach it yourself. And yeah, that's what I ended up doing. And now I'm less interested in the like mainstream economic stuff because uh, I had a chance to continue with that route, doing other, another year of college on more advanced studies in economics. But uh, for me, it was enough economics. I also find my, my niche because I'm very interested in the Austrian School of Economics and that isn't the stuff that you learn at university. So, um. Yeah, oh, it's fascinating. Like you say, being self-taught, that's always a pro in my book. It's definitely really interesting to see that like software engineering is one of the most sort of self-taught things in that respect. I mean, there are obviously other things like to some extent. Okay, I did use courses. I, uh, I used Codecademy, for example. I had a very good... Uh, I'm learning with them. And when I, when I like reactivated my account in, I think 2018 or 2000, yeah, something like that. 
then I saw that my account was made in 2013. So I already did, I already started learning programming like well before I think I did some Python or something, but never really found a, a use case. And then, then I went to yeah, told the work on Bitcoin Cash stuff. So then I need to learn all about uh, yeah, websites and then the, eventually the blockchain stuff how to, how to make you know, my own wallet. So that's what I'm working on now. So. Yeah, it's super fascinating with uh, the way I think self self teaching yourself anything teaches you a lot of things besides the actual yeah. thing that you're learning. Sort of, it teaches yeah. you, you know, ways of reasoning. How do you find new information? What to do when you get stuck at a certain point? Yeah. For something like computer science, especially or programming, it's such a hard thing to do. Maybe more than a lot of things because it's so frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and you can get an error message that is just not. Nobody has seen this error message, or is very obscure. But I, f- I feel there. like I still have. I, f- I feel like I still have major black spots in my uh, computer science knowledge. For for example, all the more theoretical stuff about algorithms and sorting and all kinds of data structures. So the more level, low level stuff. Yeah, I, I I still need to learn a lot, but I feel yeah that I can learn what I need to learn. So that's an important takeaway too. You'll figure it out as you go. Uh, the good thing about uh, being self-aware of the, about that is like, you don't have to know those algorithms. You just have to recognize when they might be applicable. And then people have already, you know, implemented the algorithms in every language you can think of. So you yeah. just copy paste, you're good to go. You need, I think, just to understand enough to know if something goes wrong, how might I tinker to fix this? But you don't need to... Memorize. I think that's something that people get so hung up on when they think about going into programming. Like, oh, I need to have all this stuff. No, you're spending half your day Googling stuff. Like, yeah, there's still yeah. very basic <laughs> syntax things that I don't memorize because I don't need to. I'll fucking Google it when the time comes and as long as it works. Yeah. yeah. I have heard of mates of mine and stuff. I've not been in this situation, but I've heard of people getting into software design interviews and stuff and the person asking them a question and then basically like being saying, I'd, I'd Google it and look up the docs and the person's looking at them like, Oh, I don't know. But you know, I don't know. It points down for that. You just think, look, I don't want to work anywhere where they're marking people that that's the correct answer in so many circumstances. Right. It's just, mm-hmm. just, just, just look it up. I, I find it fascinating because it's uh, one of my favorite quotes is the Yogi Berra quote, you know, in, uh, in theory, theory and practice are the same, and in practice, they're not. That's essentially mm-hmm. just what it comes down to. Like I'm, I've never done, you know, some university course. I have some algorithmic trainings, the same as you. I'm sure there's some things about that I don't know, but I often find that I know a lot of things that come up. I just don't know the name for them. I'm mm-hmm. like, I've already, you know, found it myself or discovered it or seen it in a repo or whatever. But I didn't know it was so and so's theory of whatever or mm-hmm. <laughs> something like that. And it, yeah. it, you know, uh, I always tend to, you know, back uh, back people who have practical experience over theoretical experience. I've never been one much for academic credentials. Not that that doesn't have its its place, but I just tend to see that there's a huge a huge gap between walking the walk and uh, yeah. But I think walking. still coding interviews have like a prominent place, and probably unfortunately, but I was able to like sidepass that. But I did some like training for like technical interviews and yeah that probably helped me but also it was also probably unnecessary looking better at it uh, like I did uh, yeah for, for people who've never done a coding test interview or been in programming or something it's a very like strange part of the industry because essentially the spread 
is very, very wide. Like it's very arbitrary. There's not really any sort of standardized set of this is a good problem or this is what it should involve or whatever. So some companies like the, where I work, for instance, when we interview people, we don't do technical interviews. I actually dislike that. I, I'm very happy to just talk to someone for half an hour and I will get, I will know whether they know their stuff by their answers. I don't, I don't need to see them write any code to do that. Uh, mm. At least not reliably, you know, for the sort of positions we're hiring for. But then some companies, it's like a whole, they're basically getting you to do free work. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're, yeah. They, they're asking you to like build a piece of their software essentially. And then just as credit, but then you're stuck as the candidate because you don't know what exactly you're supposed to do. Because if you put a lot of time into it and you do a really good job, well, then you're investing a lot in it when they might not even hire you. And so that's mm. kind of ridiculous. But on the other hand, if you don't do a good enough job and then they don't want to give you the job because you didn't do a good job, well, well, then what? Or you can <laughs> be in a situation where you've done a really good job, but they don't recognize it. And they, I've been in that situation yeah. too, where they they gave me a spec or whatever. I built you know, what they wanted. And then they sat down and said, can we talk through your code? I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> so we, we went through it and they were like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. And, or why do you do this? That kind of thing. And I'm like, look, it meets the spec and it's all like clean code. Like any good engineer would be able to figure out what well, I'm not doing anything weird here. This is not a mess, but they just didn't like it for some reason. And so <laughs> stuck is just the most uh, bizarre part of a, uh, <laughs> a programmer's life. Anyway, little insight there for everybody who's um, not not a programmer. Okay, we got we got to talk about the price we always do at the start of every episode. It's not the bull run yet. Maybe uh, crypto has been having a bit of a rough week. US dollars, $120.73. BCH down a little bit. One BTC buys 227.1 BCH down slightly on that ratio. And one ETH buys 15.4 BCH. So also down slightly on the ratio there. We are at number 29 at uh, the moment, we've been at 28 for a while, but dropped to one because internet computer is <laughs> back back from the dead. They were they were like up <laughs> up high on the ranks until everybody realized they were a scam, and then they were out of there. But for some reason, they've pumped they're back. back. Yeah. <laughs> they're back. It's like the zombies. You know, you can never get rid of them. All these like terrible coins that have no community and just I don't know. They get a fresh round of VCs on the hook or something, and then they pump up the market cap. But uh, made me laugh when I saw that they were they were back on the menu. So what do you uh, do with the volatility in the markets? Are you much of a trader? Do you still own a variety of coins? Like you said, you were into Litecoin, Ethereum. Do you still have those? Yeah. How do you deal with the uh, Currently, um, I'm very good at ignoring the price because it's like just going sideways anyways. So yeah, I, I haven't paid close attention to the price like in a long time. Um, I think, yeah, it's pretty sad that we're below internet computer, but... I said on, on Twitter, remember when we like at the, the fifth uh, place in OinCoin market cap and people reminded me, yeah, no, we were actually at place uh, three um, at the third place. So yeah, being below internet computer and Ethereum classic, yeah, it's, it's not a great spot, but I'm optimistic for the future. Yeah. ETH classic, I don't feel kind of terrible about. I mean, ETH, ETH classic at least has a real community, and I always yeah. But how, like I, how high is how high is Shiba Inu again? And like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's yeah. right. Shiba Inu maybe not right, but yeah. it just goes to show you that uh, with all the manipulated like market supply dynamics and and all that kind of plays into it, right? Shiba Inu, there's probably only like 001 percent of it 
available for sale. You know, it's probably 99% locked up by the founders or something like that. And there's just this tiny amount, which is on, uh, what's that app called? Robinhood that everybody Mm -hmm. was using. Did they put it on that? And then it just pumped it through the roof. And then now there's a whole bunch of like 12 year olds who bought some who've Mm -hmm. forgotten their wallets and it's burned all the supply uh, of what is sort of available. And the founders are like, damn, we can't cash out because we'll immediately crater the market. So they might just be kind of stuck. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty funny. Market caps are such an arbitrary metric, but mm-hmm. it's definitely <laughs> def- definitely funny to to observe all the different uh, coins and their and their fortunes. Right. So first thing we got to get onto, which is uh, your innovation with the cash tokens web wallet. So you have coded up. Uh, probably the first, I would say, yeah, actual wallet uh, to support the upcoming upgrade to cash tokens, which is on May the 15th, so 23 days away from the day of recording. Yeah. Uh, and that was letting people experiment and play around with it on the chip net, on the test network before it went live. So explain this project. Why do you decide to do this and how's it been going so far? Yeah, so... Mainly because when nobody was doing it, so I, I saw an opportunity to create something cool. Um, and yeah, so I would say that's the, that was the main reason. Uh, I can, I'm also thinking about like integrations into the future because some uh, projects would li- like unique, uh, for, for example, a tokenized any hedge would have to have a unique integration into the web wallet, uh, something like that. And I was also, I saw the opportunity because apart from a, with this main.js library, they uh, added cash token support. So it was not that hard for me to start building uh, with it. So I owe a huge debt to him because uh, alone it would have been a lot more work. So I was able to piggy bank on uh, the work of others. So because he made a, a cool library and then he implemented the cash token support, but nobody did anything with it. So I was like, this is very unfortunate. Why is nobody, is it that hard to use? And then I tried it and it was actually very easy to use. I also found some bugs and some missing features, but uh, I kept into contact with him and now the library is even in a better place than before. And yeah, the, the web policy is working great. So I'm actually very glad with uh, how it turned out. I think it's mostly finished. Uh, I'm not planning to do any uh, major changes before uh, just porting it over to mainnet. Probably the one thing that's still missing is um, easy uh, denomination in like uh, dollars so that you can just send five dollars. Currently, it's denominated in either Satoshi's or Bitcoin Cash itself. So a small UI tweak, but uh, and maybe even like you mentioned to make it even simpler to create tokens because Attaching, creating tokens is easy, but create, uh, attaching the metadata is still like a bit of a complex process. Like you can figure it out if you take your time, but uh, it's not as easy like for non-technical people because they lead, need to learn about GitHub, GitHub gist and like JSON format and maybe some yeah, using a code editor to check if the format is right or yeah, so not, not the easiest yet. Yeah, because obviously everybody in the community has been super excited about this upgrade coming up, and I think we all should be. But it's, I think it's also very important to uh, re-emphasize the fact that it's not going to. This is not sending the price to the moon overnight, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very exciting, and over the long run, it's going to make a titanic difference. People will be able to see in two years or in 
five years, you know, how incredible it, it is. You know, I don't think that's all empty hype. But on the other hand, you see some people saying, oh, we're having this upgrade. <laughs> is it going to pump? I've already seen that on the day of release, May 15th. Is it going to go to the moon? And the answer is no, because uh, while we've got some stuff starting to come together for this technology, it's only the very, very, very baby steps of what people have been working on. And like you said, the, there's a lot that goes into it in terms of the developer tooling. As yeah, well. yeah. So there's, there's a lot of layers to software. So first you need like the blockchain to upgrade and that was uh, like chipnet. And then the, that includes the nodes. So first the technical specification and the blockchain with uh, a few of the nodes. And then you need some libraries like Lipart to upgrade. And then because those are very low level and then you need like main.js or BCA.js, like high level uh, libraries to uh, work with these new tools and then finally you can have like wallets and once they wallets then you can have applications so there's many steps involved into being able to make your cash tokens application so that's right we're getting you, there yeah. yeah we're getting there that's right and then you, even after you have the wallets or the applications then you still need usually some ui refinement you know some front-end work maybe some designers come in then maybe you need some marketing and advertising to get it through to a bunch of people right so that you're right there's so many layers to it and but the critical thing for me is to understand that because there's so many layers it takes quite a long time but the funnel kind of spreads outward if you see what i'm saying like yeah you only need a couple of people to do a really good job in the spec and then you have you know a slightly yeah. broader pool of people who are the node developers above that and then above that the um, library devs you know you only need a few good people so this is one of the reasons that i am so bullish on bch and i think in some ways we're in a really good position because bch community isn't necessarily one of the biggest in crypto but it has a very very strong and very very solid technical core so those people can do so much heavy lifting in terms of technical uh infrastructure that then when the marketing and the promotion starts to rise and other people come into the community well if you're a dev you don't want to be having to dig into all these different layers of stuff you just want to see oh okay the libraries are there and the documentation i just show up and i can just be building an app quickly right that's what happened in ethereum and so i think that's what we're going to replicate and and see here do you agree with that yeah i totally agree yeah, not where where would you say that we're most lacking in that in that pro like for you for a dev to come in and just say okay let's just you know get something going do you have any specific areas that you see as thinking uh, that could use some serious improvement yeah the one thing i i just noticed is currently it's a gay time to build because everything's quiet but also I feel that some people who might be sitting on the fence, developers, won't jump in because everything is so quiet. <laughs> I think it would be good to have some more applications and hype. Uh, so I think that's just the main thing missing, just some uh, proven profitable use cases, and then uh, the rest will follow. But if, if those are not uh, present, then yeah, other people like the motivation or the confirmation that anyone would use it or is excited about their, their tools. Okay, and how are you funding this whole web wallet? Like, obviously, it's amazing that you just built all this and you said you're doing full time on BCH dev work. Where, where's the money coming from that? Did you, did yeah, you so maybe the, run a flip starter or something? The, the web wallet isn't funded. So, uh, apart from Main.js, who did he was doing the lower level work, he, he has been funded through flip starter. Uh, I got fl funded through fl flip starter for my work on uh, Cash Crypt. So, I've been working a few months on that with Roscoe. Um, 
so that's a separate uh, thing. So I'm just combining uh, combining different projects. So I'm not working on like one thing specifically. I'm working on a few different things at once. Well, the, the, here we go. This is a perfect example of what I'm saying is you're just doing double duty on <laughs> multiple projects, right? That's also another thing, which can actually be quite good in the sort of uh, devs, you know, sort of more hobbyist or more passionate devs being involved in the community is they will, if they get a bit bored, instead of just like going off to, oh, I'm going to make an AI thing this week, you can just work <laughs> on another part of PCH, right? You can yeah. spread it out a bit and keep yourself interested, but it's all still pushing in the same direction. So that's actually something very nice that we've got uh, in our favor. I was playing around with the wallet last night so people can find that at https colon slash slash my dash cash tokens dash web wallet dot netlify dot app. That's netlify, N-E-T-L-I-F-Y. Yeah. I still need to get a proper domain set up, so. Um, <laughs> yeah. What are you going to call it? Do you have a name or is no, it going the problem. cash I'm tokens not, web wallet? Not great, yeah. My creativity hasn't been coming through lately, so I've just been focused on the technicals. Okay. Yeah. Chad, do you have yeah. a suggestion? My, yeah. my cash tokens web wallet worked when it was the only web wallet like for Chipnet, but probably for, um, for Mainnet, it will be, yeah, it will have to be called something else. So that's probably the biggest to do for me is uh, think about, uh, about rebranding. Yeah. I don't have a suggestion for a domain or anything, but uh, if you need any assistance with hosting or SSL or any of that shit, let me know. I'm, <laughs> I feel like I've slowly been building up my sysadmin skills and I, I want to get better at it, but this is something that I recently helped Jeremy with. Uh, and The flip started, yep. yeah. Cheers for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the offer. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, you love to see this kind of grassroots innovation coming through. And like you said, there, there was a bit of a, a gap in the market. So um, hopefully we'll be seeing more and more of the wallets sort of lock into place as everybody starts to implement this same thing. Classically, one of the things we've seen, well, maybe not classically is the right word, but uh, the Bitcoin.com team, a lot of people I've seen have been asking, oh, are they going to support cash tokens because everybody's so excited? Are they going to put that in there? And for anybody who doesn't know, uh, Corbin, who's one of the guys who works at Bitcoin.com, he posted a reply on Twitter to somebody asking about that and said, uh, well, we're keeping an eye on it, but we're not going to be mm -hmm. like rushing in to implement it because and he made a very good point which was that obviously as a company they're sort of shifting away from bch overall but also on top of that they've done slp tokens and there was wormhole and there was lots of different things that kind of came up as oh this has been the great thing and they've implemented those things time and time again and then they've kind of withered and died on the vine you know in various ways right i don't think this time's going to be the same because this time it's actually implemented at the protocol level it's been thought out a lot more and everybody's a lot more bought in i would say so i don't think it's going to be the same but it's fair enough that they would be one step removed from yeah that, and also you know? the, the cash tokens ecosystem on launch so it's probably good to think about that so it's yeah my, my wallet for, for sure and also petaka is working on cash tokens integration um the next electron cash that just got funded like yesterday so they will be also having cash token support but i think that's the only three with like separate working on it um and then for block explorers there's uh, one explorer that i already upgraded and that's also on chipnet and then there's another one funded which uh places emphasis on all the metadata stuff so i think it's important to uh 
to emphasize. So some of the wallets like Electrum Cash, they will update, but they might not have metadata on like day one. So this means yeah, you, you will have to look at your 32 uh, buy it token ID or something uh, to know which token uh, you're dealing with. But uh, otherwise you can have a logo and a name attached or linked to the blockchain or to IPFS. So not all wallets will, will support that right away. So the ecosystem on launch day will be like very small, right? But then yeah. over time, I'm sure it will it will grow a lot because it is on the blockchain level. So wallets can ignore it, but they just like missing a, a part of the UTXO data, the token information. Yeah, and that's something that I think also bears repeating is that people don't need to be, oh, it will be exciting and I'm definitely hype for the release and everything, but I'm also, you know, trying to temper at least mine and everyone else's expectations that's just going to go off immediately. But for the same reason as that, it's important to think, wow, this is going to make a huge difference in the long run. And the reason is because once you get the upgrade in, it's in, right? You don't, it, it's not going to need a lot of maintenance and fixing and mm. updates and that kind of thing. There'll be some of that, right? But most of that will go on at the higher level, uh, at the application level and, you know, or the design level, the UI level. Like I said about that pyramid, as it widens out, the reason that it widens out is because the lower pieces, once they lock into place, they're sort of more solid, they're harder to change because the foundations then impacts everything else right so once it's in probably by this time next year with the 2024 upgrade we'll be talking about oh okay well what about utxo commitments and what about this and what about that but that will be just adding on like it's an exponential cumulative increase in the power with every every subsequent thing right and once all that stuff is baked in we, we don't know there'll be devs that come into bch in two years time when cash tokens is not the most hype thing that everybody's excited about but still they'll find it and be like wow this, this is really good i need to plug into all this this stuff or it will just become assumed as part of supporting bch you know as we see uh maybe like coinbase or uh, more generic edge wallet or whatever any of these multi-coin wallets if they start jumping on this train and being like wow we've really got to add this because users are demanding it that's when we'll know that it's it's catching on in the in the broader ecosystem once they can't afford to ignore it right yeah so i think cash tokens the upgrade is like the the biggest thing that happened uh, to happen to bch like it's very big in our past upgrades but as you said it like builds upon them so first you had like the oracle stuff the data signature verify and then some of the native introspection and uh, some of the changes with how large in integers can be but those were all, all boring changes for most users but now it will all come together and like really enable complex decentralized applications for example a kind of uniswap it will take a long time to develop, but now you could build it on, on BCH with uh, cash tokens. And totally it wasn't possible before. So I think if BCH wouldn't have gotten cash tokens and like innovation just stopped, then I would also have lost excitement because there isn't that much that you can build. Um, like it still has a lot of common DNA with Litecoin and with Dogecoin. So they are all from the same Bitcoin family. So I really think that, that innovation that the cash tokens brought is like so key for BCH's success. So we can just keep on trying the same things. Then you will get the same results as before. So just only trying like retail adoption or, uh, or yeah, you have all the volatility problems. I really think Ethereum has shown that with DeFi and real applications, you can get uh, way further. So like Bitcoin was born into the number one spot, but Ethereum had to earn the number two spot. And maybe in my estimation, they will, they will even flip in a few years. So um, I really think Ethereum has, has found 
has found use cases where Bitcoin has like lo lost a lot of them. Like the biggest use case on Bitcoin right now is spamming uh, with ordinals, like video games, Doom, yeah, that you can play on a blockchain. That's not a, a real use case to me. So, uh, yeah, so that's I, why I think I, yeah, I cash tokens is that big. That's right. And like you said, I love how you said that, that ETH had to earn the number two spot. Yeah, e yes and no. I mean, they are... I guess, I guess so. Yes. Like even at the time when they were coming up, there was not the kind of competition or variety yeah. of coins that there was uh, today. So they did have a bit of that sort of first mover advantage. Like BCH doesn't yeah, okay. have that in the sense that it split off in 2017. Right. So by the time it was already full ICO mania and the community mm -hmm. had to kind of reorganize while all that was already going on. So I think we, we have to certainly earn our way back yeah, up exactly. to the top but yeah. i think it's going to be pretty it's going to be sort of an unstoppable rise once it once it kicks in i don't know when that's going to be in two years or in five years i don't know at what point the snowball hits critical mass but it will be because like you said we were you know bch was at number three when it first split off and it had that uh spike like is there any doubt in anybody's mind that if bch was number three at any point in the future if it got to number three it would be going to number one surely right if it was number three, it would be the biggest story in crypto full time, like 24 seven. The comeback is on Bitcoin cash back from the dead. Like what's going on? Like how much innovation and momentum and excitement we would need to have to even get to number three. Like people would just be flooding on, on board to join. Right. Yeah. I hope we get to see it. Uh, it'll still be a few years at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess so. I mean, I just sort of, I can just see it as an incremental thing, right? If we get back in the top 20, that'll be like a bit exciting for everybody who's on the ground, right? People will be like, wow, it's really working. Like we're, we're doing some good stuff here. And then if we get, you know, back in the top 15, it'll be like, oh, pretty, pretty good. Get back in the top 10, the fire will really be burning. And then top five, it'll be like the flipping is, is happening. Right. So anyway, anyway, we'll, we'll see. Just but I think on, now, now oh. is the like now is, is the first time that I can really seriously talk about this because I always thought, yeah, you can make a comeback that big, like it's just not going to happen. But now it's it's cash tokens. Like I think it's really a huge upgrade. So uh, all the stuff it enables, from side chains to prediction markets to like the uh, DAOs or the uh, Uniswap style uh, decentralized exchanges we mentioned. There's so many, so many new use cases that all were impossible before. Like if, if there was no, and it also, it also depended just on a few people. Like there was, of course, group before and then a few token implementations before that all led up to this point. So there was a like, continuous process. Those were dependent on like a very few people to actually make this pick and all that happen because it requires a yeah, unique, unique set of skills and technical knowledge and yeah, foresight also because you have to imagine what decentralized applications will look like. But yeah, of course, there, there are no applica uh, these applications yet. So, well, like there, I mean, some of them, some of them there, there are in the sense, and that's why it's interesting as well because this will make BCH truly unique as well too. Because what it's combining the whole UTXO part. Somebody was asking about this on Twitter today. I'm going to have to write up a a good summary and explain that. Uh, you know to everybody but for the for the listeners you know you can it's more complicated than this but you can roughly think of cryptocurrencies as being in two camps right one is the account model which is like what uh, ethereum has and most of the other ones that are evm chains not all of them 
but most of them are like, and then the other one is the UTXO model, which is the classic uh, Bitcoin accounting model. And I will need to workshop a bit the best way to explain this to people. But one way that I have been doing it is it's like if you have a lot of workers in a factory and they're making like kits, like think of, you know, Lego kits or something, which are the transactions, right, that are being processed. So in the EVM model, it's like you have, you know, 10 people in your factory and they just put all the Lego pieces into one bin, one big box that everybody goes to the box. Like when you're a kid, when I used to make Lego with my cousins, that was how we did it. Like all the Legos just in one box. So then you're like, where's this piece and where's that piece? And you're looking through these huge box to try and uh, find it or somebody's already using it in their project. So you're kind of salty about it, right? Uh, so that starts off good. If you've got 10 people and just a few bits of Lego, then it all is nice and easy. Everybody just throws it in one box. Everyone knows where everything is, right? But then once you get to 10,000 or 100,000 people, which is, you know, as the transaction volume is increasing on an EVM account-based chain, you that's how, that's how things get. It gets messy because everybody's trying to use the same box and that's why the fees are high, right? But then in Bitcoin, it's like if everybody has their own kit, you know, everybody gets their little Lego kit and it has the bits they need for their kit and that's it. Well, at the start, that sucks because, oh, this guy's got that thing and that's not in my kit. I want to use that, but it's not there, right? Yeah, it's, a, exactly. it's, a, it's a huge pain. So you're kind of, you know, in a bit of a pain in the ass. And if you want to swap bits with him, then you're going to have to coordinate. You're going to have to say, well, you give me this and I'll give you that. And in mm -hmm. return, you know, uh, however, we'll do it. Let's make a deal, something like that. So it's much uh, slower to get off the ground from that small technical uh, base. But the plus side is once you've, done the work if you're getting up to 10,000 people well it's all just flowing really smoothly because everybody's got their kit everybody builds their kit boom done there's no gigantic mess forming at the shared uh box with everybody's lego pieces and coordination issues which is what you hear about uh mev and all that right that's what that is so i think bch uh this is all to say will be the utxo chain that has the scripting power to do all the things that Ethereum is doing, like DeFi stuff, the lending protocols, um, what are they called? DEXs, AMMs, like all that stuff, right? So that's kind of, that's kind of why it's so exciting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like the analogy of the uh, Lego kids. I'm gonna, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have to refine that and and use it as my pitch but i in trying to in trying also, to explain to people you know, i also love hard. the blog post by jason uh, jason Dresner, which explains cash tokens because it really emphasizes the scalability because it doesn't like it does not change the uh, properties of the blockchain in the way that uh, it would uh, like works in scalability like the properties are still the same whereas yeah with ethereum they have a lot of scalability problems because they are not like parallel or parallelly validated so um it's a technical point but like really important for what you mentioned with the lego kids like uh if you have a yeah where we want to get like with like visa level transactions per second this is really important and ethereum is like trying sharding on all these complex solutions and i think it's really good that utxo yeah also has a serious competitor that can also do all the smart contract stuff but then still has the scalability of bitcoin because this is a huge misunderstanding that yeah, Bitcoin is actually very scalable. <laughs> so uh, of course, there are a lot of problems with the software that uh, don't take a, a full advantage of this. 
But um, overall, the architecture is very scalable. So then to see that Bitcoin like limited its block size to one megabyte, something ridiculous, like it, it hurts so much <laughs> because the, the properties of the system are, are so good in compared to Ethereum. Yeah, this is one of the biggest misunderstandings and something we're going to have to fight through a lot. So that's why I'm trying to you know come up with these ways we can explain it because I think there's... Firstly, there was obviously a lot of lies about how Bitcoin was not scalable. That was all the block size war and all that. And then separately to that, you had this kind of separate story where Ethereum went off and did it a bit their own way, but then now they've run into scaling problems. So now a lot of people have got the sort of false impression that, well, as soon as you start kicking off, that's when you run into the scaling problems, right? Because that's what's happened in both instances mm -hmm. so far. And they don't, they can't really see the you know, forest for the trees in the sense that no, Bitcoin and Ethereum are, yes, they're both having scaling problems and at about the same point in their development, but they were for completely different reasons. Yeah, exactly. exactly. You know, the BTC one was a, a social and a political problem and the Ethereum one was for a technical yeah. uh Design reasons, yeah, because of the account model. That's right. And so if they had... And then, and then it kind of gets into, but then people always have questions like, well, well, why did Vitalik do that? Why did he make uh, the account model if it was going to have all these problems? And it's, you know, the answer really is that Vitalik is not Satoshi. I mean, he's, you know, he's a good engineer and all that, but certainly when he was, whatever, 17 or 18 years old and dreaming up Ethereum for the first time, he did what any engineer would do. And he, he made the sort of simple, quick win, right? Like yeah, I, I think he made a trade-off, right? So he saw the advantages of the uh, global state model and said, yeah, we're willing to take the trade-off. And then they found a bunch of cool use cases that had never been done before. But then eventually they, and they ran into what everybody could have foreseen, these uh, scalability issues. Um, yeah, now it's time to try the local state model. So the, I, I heard people call it smart transactions. So yes. kind of like that uh, catchy term for our new cash tokens implementation. So smart transactions. And it's different from glo global state, right? Because as you explained, you can't read from like any contract state in the whole blockchain. You really need to keep it all contained in your transaction. But then with you can use inputs like... Uh, Jason called it public uh, interfaces. So you can have inputs that can be read by other transactions. In this way, you can like include state from other uh, Lego kits. So this way, you can combine them. It's a bit a bit more difficult first to wrap your head around, but uh, it's way more scalable. So that's another uh, set of trade-offs. Yeah, that's right. And I think this idea about smart transactions, I think it was. Uh... Max was uh, Max Hastings was the first one I saw say that. Maybe someone said that before, but I'm going to give him the credit for at least popularizing it, if not coining it. I think that that's brilliant because that's like if we're coming up with our own lingo, that's sort of a secondary effect of leading the pack technologically, right? As soon as you are advancing ahead of everything else, well, now you need new words to describe it. We've yeah. seen that over and over, right? Bitcoin, like, yeah, cryptocurrency, ICOs, yeah. ICOs, exactly, DeFi, DeFi. Like, AMMs, like all these yeah. stuff comes into, like even to a certain extent, I guess custody was a thing technically before cryptocurrency existed and technically so was also decentralization. Like they were concepts before crypto, but crypto is really brought those kind of things to the fore, right? And like hodling, even hodling, <laughs> all these things, a community that is on the forefront of culture will develop its own language and terminology that then everybody else has to catch up to. So I think in smart transactions, that's brilliant. If BCH is 
you know, producing those kinds of things. I think it's a perfect thing because it's like, it's like smart contracts, but it's the UTXO version. Mm-hmm. And it sort yeah. of combines those two. So I think, okay, this is like smart contracts, but kind of a bit different. And then they're interested what's different, what's the same. And yeah. you know, then we go into all this that we've just been talking about. So I'm super thrilled and I hope that catches on. And it, you know, I highly encourage everyone to talk about BCH with smart transactions, right? Okay. All right. Cool. So we've got uh, a bit of a screenshot here as well too, Jet. Hopefully you can show the the listeners of your uh, web wallet that we've got here with uploading the images. I had a bit of a play around with it in terms of, you know, creating a token, sending and receiving a couple things. That was all uh, super cool. I've got to mention for uh, emergent reasons, I know he'll want me to say that uh, cash tokens kind of comes in at sort of two layers. So the first layer is tokens like that people would expect, which is non-fungible tokens, NFTs, you know, monkey pictures and the, and fungible tokens like, uh, you know, Bitcoin cash, right? It's just a pool of things and you can trade them in any, uh, any amounts like we already have. So that's one layer of it. And then there's sort of a second layer, uh, which we're going to need much more powerful wallets to unlock in the future like this is already a big upgrade this upgrade that we're doing now but the even more powerful layer will be with transaction templates so that you can do things like have your wallet automatically negotiate a contract for an any hedge stable coin derivative over a period of time which you're then using as a loan into another you know application you know, something more complicated like that is all the power is all in there, but we're not going to get it quickly because obviously we've got to build all the simple stuff first and people yeah. have also got to catch up to the yeah, so exactly. concepts, I, right? I built the simple stuff first. So uh, what you can see is like the regular tokens and regular NFTs and some of them have metadata. So, um, so and as you can see, some have like a, a green check and some have a, a red warning. So this just means because... Uh, Metadata is not inclu- included on the blockchain, so you always need to worry about imposter tokens, so which have the same metadata, but I'm not actually what you think they are. So anybody can claim to be USDT, but of course there is only one real uh, tether on any blockchain. So the 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 verified uh, check is what included on some trusted uh, trusted token list. So metadata always has to be on token lists. So uh, and some of these token lists will for example, be provided by CoinMarketCap. So there will be no doubt what the, the real tether on cash tokens is, for example. But then if you want to deploy your own token then and, and you haven't been uh, included on any token list, you will still get this uh, unverified symbol. And this is okay for uh, any like small project, but uh, big projects will probably want to uh, be verified at least on so- some token lists or some uh, uh, listed wallets use. So people know for sure they are getting the real NFT or the real token and not just um, some cheap copy with a different token ID. Yeah, so that's that's one thing about metadata that I wanted to mention. And uh, for the rest, I, I think it's uh, it's pretty clear what uh, what is going on here. One thing I added recently was the on the uh, there's test NFTs at the bottom. So and they are all stacked together. So it displays the logo of the group, for example. If you have Boyd Apes, for example, it would uh, display the general uh, Boyd Apes logo, and then you can press the uh, expand button or the drop down menu, and then all your different uh, NFTs from that collection will be listed. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's a good feature to to have, and it was also uh, widely requested already by people experimenting on Chipnet. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm really excited for a lot of this NFT stuff as well to come to BCH because like we were saying before about, okay, BCH has got a very strong technical community, but the promotion and marketing parts are just, you know, they're improving. Like uh, we were talking to Beachad last episode about that. Obviously, we're doing this podcast, you know, there's more Twitter spaces going on. This kind of stuff is in the mix. But uh, it would be amazing if we had a few more sort of creative types in terms of, uh, you know, all the generative art that people are doing now, all that, like uh, the sort of more visual thinkers, obviously music, stuff like that. And I think that's what this is going to bring a lot into the ecosystem. Certainly, it seems to in every other coin. So I'm really excited that we're expanding into that uh, separate uh, part. On the next slide here, we've got these, uh, the Paytaka cash tokens demo that you mentioned and they also seem to be thinking along those same lines because they've built straight into it the ability to have the nft uh like images show up directly in the wallet and a very sort of metamask yeah. signing yeah, so uh, they, flow right yeah they they are trying to integrate more the other layer already so you mentioned that it's two layers like the basic cash tokens and then like more complex stuff and they're trying to to the more complex stuff. So it's something MetaMask-like. We have a browser extension and it can interact with like uh, any website that supports it. So they uh, they tried a, a smart yeah the smart transaction then uh, to mint uh, NFTs. So it's a smart smart contract to pay to script hash. Um, and then it has a maximum amount. So I think it uses a cash script under the hood to limit the amount of NFTs that can be minted. And I also reached out to them and asked about uh, these these pictures, if they already implemented the metadata standard, but apparently this was just for uh, demo purposes. So it's still a work in progress, but I think it's really cool to have like a MetaMask equivalent in BCH because yeah, a bit ago, a few years ago there was a Badger wallet, but uh, I think those guys like really overhyped and underdelivered. So yeah, they, they they got the SLP stuff working smoothly, but uh, none of the like smart contracts uh, stuff you can do with MetaMask. And it looks like Payteca is like exploring uh, that around much more to do on-site transactions and uh, communicate from the browser extension to the website. So I think they are really making uh, good strides and uh, shout out to them because I'm interested to see what they will have ready by uh, the mainnet launch. So maybe, maybe some project will use this uh, NFT minting with a smart contract, uh, who knows? Yeah, I think Paytaka have been absolutely crushing it, and I second that. I've given them a couple shout-outs on the show before, and this is another good good time for that, for people to go and, and check out a lot of what they're, they're doing because I think it's kind of a nice uh, synergy of everything coming together. A lot of their stuff gets funded on Flipstarter, right? Uh, and if you contrast that to, you know, the Bitcoin.com, like they're doing their, they're going off in their separate direction. So it's really nice that the BCH community has been able to do like a flip starter to support this uh, wallet. They operate in the Philippines, which is a relatively inexpensive location. So they posted up a photo of their team. They have yeah. so many people on stuff. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. They have like 30 people or something. It's crazy, yeah. right? Yeah. It's yeah, like, it's really funny too. You know, they've got, it's like they've got marketing people and they've got, you know, the admin and the sales and the devs and like, you know, the artists and whoever, what they're doing. Like, it's amazing, actually, what uh, a strong little economy they had going uh, just there. It's sort of starting to sprout up, right? Mm -hmm. So I think they're 
doing absolutely uh, amazing. And if we can keep uh, that going, then as they're improving and implementing this stuff that's more kind of on the cutting edge, also they have the any hedge uh, direct integration, for instance, then that will draw more market share into them because BCH users that want to try the latest features they like uh, there's switching costs, you know, when you have an existing wallet, you think, okay, it's good enough for the time being, you know, you're maybe a little bit unhappy or you're kind of salty about something, but to switch, you have to have a really good reason to switch and something like this will get them a lot of extra traction if they're there with the most cutting advanced features. And then that sort of self reinforces, right. Then they'll get even more uh, excited because their user numbers will be growing and it's just going to be, going to be great so i think they're doing amazing amazing stuff at uh pay and i yeah i want to give them a lot of props yeah and it's also uh, a good use case of a smart contract so um of or smart transactions because um, these of course you can do like a centralized mint where you mint all the nfts at once and then starting to sell them there's like a more trusted setup because you have to like trust the, the site where you are buying from that they will actually send you the NFT at sale. But with the smart contract, that's like all trustless because you know you get yeah, the smart contracts can steal from you, right? Uh, maybe maybe in Ethereum they can, but with these simple type smart contracts, you know you will be receiving the NFT when you send it Bitcoin Cash. So um, I think that's a great use case. It's uh, similar to ICO. So I think once it's working for uh, NFTs to do like an, a mint with the interaction to a contract and it's also easy to do like ICOs and because those were so popular on Ethereum they will probably also see some use cases uh, or some use on Bitcoin Cash and then I think a bit more advanced would be like token marketplaces that are all non-custodial so that you can lock up some of your tokens and say I want this much Bitcoin Cash for it and then you can take these uh, take these tokens out of the contract and uh, or the reverse that you are either yeah, buying or selling, so both would uh, work. Because SLP had a problem where you couldn't like trustlessly buy uh, SLP tokens with the smart contract because the smart contract can't know what is a valid SLP token and what is not. So this was like a huge pain point for SLP and it is trivially solved with cash tokens. So of course the blockchain knows what is a valid cash token because you can't you can't like fake it. Uh, it's all native tokens. So I think it's a yeah, a very big advantage and also one of the first smart contracts we'll probably see on a takeoff on Bitcoin Cash. So can you just clarify uh, for me there? I mean, I, th I think I already know the answer, but just to get your take on it, you were saying before about having the unverified tokens, right, mm -hmm. with the red X, but then you're saying, oh, but the blockchain already knows you can't fake the cash tokens. Can you just dig into and explain oh, that yeah. a little bit more? So, um, so of course, for the, uh, the, the, the metadata is still untrusted token lists and so so you still have uh, that part is not uh, fully trustless because how can the blockchain know what is the real today like it doesn't know and it can't know so it's like formed by social consensus so what what does the Tether website say is the real today or what is the team issuing and it's all outside the blockchain so uh, for any standard the metadata is always like a bit uh, trusted but then the, the trustless part is like the, the token sale on chain so if you are verified that a certain uh, token id is uh, is tether then you can for example swap your tethers uh, for bitcoin cash or the reverse trustlessly with a smart contract so then you don't need an exchange and these are like the easiest swaps to do is just non-custodial peer-to-peer and then uh, amm style dexes like jedex uh, like uh, uniswap 
they will convey later, I think, because uh, they are very, I took a look at what the work Jason did on Chedex, and they involve like 10 different uh, contracts or different types of tokens to all keep track of state. So uh, yeah, that, all that stuff is like really on, a, on another level. So I don't think we'll see that anytime soon, but uh, a peer-to-peer -peer, like token marketplace, non-custodial, with something like Paytaka, that probably be realistic to, to still develop it in a few months or later this year. Yeah. Yeah. So just to, yeah, to clarify that, I mean, so the way I understand it is, so with the tokens, you can have the tokens being transferred around on the blockchain and there's no way to fraud that because the miners and uh, the nodes are already checking it. So if uh, Jet says he's going to send me, you know, 50 uh, Jet tokens, then once I know what the Jet tokens are, somebody else can't send me, you know, jet tokens but they changed one of the numbers yeah, and suddenly yeah. i'm i'm yeah. like oh it's all my wallet has just uh grouped them all together no it's never going to do that but you do have to have these uh metadata which is separate from the actual because the tokens on the chain are just a string of numbers right it's just a hash of this is what the info you know this is what the token id is and anybody can make a token so there's nowhere that you, you know, there's no office bitcoin cash office that you write in and say hey i'm tether and i want to register my official tether tokens right so in order to solve the disparity between those two things that your wallet can't be fooled but on the other hand anybody can just make any token uh then there will be lists of metadata which will be maintained well i mean we'll see anybody can do it so uh probably the bitcoin cash podcast i've considered we might end up running a you know a server that provides some of this information but i'm sure major exchanges will do it maybe price aggregators like coin market cap maybe other you know maybe the node teams might do it as well too will provide those lists so that you can just say okay the top, you know, 100 tokens that everybody's going to want to know about, like USDT and... Yeah, know, this, be, uh, this will be uncontroversial, right? Everybody will agree what USD, the real USDT is. Um, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, and then you, just so you'll to, get lists. And then, yeah. and then those lists, you'll be able to combine them together. And so there's no way you're going to be missing any of the main ones yeah. and if somebody is <laughs> sending you hey man i'm gonna send you this token if it's not on those lists probably you want to be a bit aware <laughs> yeah <exactly. laughs> like, what's yeah. going on here right because yeah. he, he might have called his own token like the real today you know, something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. the real dogecoin the yeah. real slim shady somebody's gonna <laughs> make that token <laughs> So it'll all work out, but all of this uh, surrounding infrastructure that kind of needs to be built and will will come along with it. There's there's going to be a, a bit of tech going on in the background. That's another reason to not be expecting it to just instantly pop off on on day one. But on the other hand, uh, the way I tend to think of it more is that all this uh, extra work and stuff, it's not a problem so much as it's an oppor opportunity because it's, yeah, exactly. a it, it's a barrier to anyone who wants to compete with us essentially is they also have to go through all these steps and we're not doing it for nothing. It's because it's hard stuff, but powerful, right? So I'm not too worried about other teams creeping up on us uh, in that respect. Right. Let's chat a bit about BCH discussion then. So I mentioned at the start of the show that you're the moderator at the main uh, BCH uh telegram bch channel i think it's uh technically called people can check that out at t.me slash bch channel it has about two and a half thousand members seems to fluctuate a bit 
as people kind of come and go or you delete some bots <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But uh, can you tell yeah. us the, the story of that, how, how you became uh, moderating there and how you sort of operate that? Yeah, so I think something they say is uh, it's good to have someone who doesn't want that power. So I didn't really want to be the main moderator of the channel, um, but I ended up yeah, like inheriting it from someone else. Uh, for a few years now and i think we we ran it pretty well but one thing you learn is that absolute free speech uh, on this platform yeah that you just need some moderation especially on a platform like telegram because someone can easily like spam with noise so we try to keep the signal to noise ratio uh, very good in the channel and people can discuss like whatever sometimes they go really off topic into into some stuff but then uh, as yeah as moderators uh, we try to remind them sometimes from let's keep it let's keep it to bitcoin cash you can form your own group if you want to talk like politics or something or just uh, talk about other coins that's that's fine too or just to only talk about the price all the time so that's fine but you should probably go to a different channel for that so yeah i'm, I'm pretty active in that group myself um but I, I there's a, a whole bunch of other moderators so i i don't try to read every message because yeah it's a it's a lot of distraction the dictator <laughs> what i think is a better use of my time i am also uh i also post frequently on ibdc on the yeah on the bitcoin cash subreddits so both ibdc and ibitcoin cash and because i think that's yeah better signal to noise you just make one post and people who find it interesting can comment or because sometimes in telegram things get buried so uh, people who are interested can find uh, the important info. So I think for Telegram, it's, it's good that we also have news channels. So if you just want the Bitcoin Cash news, then you sh should subscribe to those. And the Bitcoin Cash channel is like the ideal place to get to ask questions or do some discussion. But uh, for if you want the highest signal to noise ratio, then probably like Telegram groups are not the, the ideal place. But I think we yeah. we run it pretty well. We can, of course, we should be ambitious and try to grow it a lot more. But uh. yeah, I think it's just important to bring up. So I got a shout out. So I've started a new subreddit slash r slash Bitcoin Cash podcast. So if I have any keen redditors uh, listening, you can check that out. And also slash r slash Cash Tokens, which uh, fiendish crypto has started, and I also responsible disclosure. I'm now a moderator of, mm -hmm. and the reason. Uh, for starting those up, I think was because, especially on our BDC, but maybe also on the Telegram group, some people were kind of getting a bit frustrated that maybe there was a bit too much free speech, not that the BCH community should be against free speech or anything like that. But when things are consistently getting sidetracked and particularly yeah. RBDC, there's so much history yeah. and, uh, yeah, I think it's it? a good, a good place. Just if people want to learn specifically about cash tokens, they can just check out the cash tokens separate it and then they will get the highest signal to noise ratio. So it's smart, but uh, also it's hard to get to get people to join a new separate it. So I think it's, That's a, right. it's a good effort from his part and we'll see, we'll see how it develops. Yeah, so there's there's kind of a bit of a catch twenty two there because the large places to discuss are the ones with the network effect and it's where everybody goes. Yeah. But on the other hand, then if you want to sort of change the vibe or have a more specific uh, focus, then you've, you've kind of got to start from scratch uh, again. So I I think that's what that's what's kind of going there, and I like that the community discussion is sort of decentralizing in that way. I think it's really healthy, and I think people will find their way into the 
spaces that have the moderation policies that that sort of suit them or the interests that suit them in the same mm -hmm. way as like i'm you know on my subreddit i'm going to be more lax about like if people are pumping the price or they want to talk about trading or something like that i'm going to be more open to that in rbdc there's certainly a point at which the mods are going to come in and say what are you doing i would too but you know they might have a different stance and then the mm -hmm. same with the cash tokens uh subreddit probably if you're in there talking about gambling on various coins uh i think fiendish is probably going to shut you out pretty quick so uh just to all the listeners if you are a keen uh redditor and certainly we have a lot of people i know that are always browsing on rbtc then just check out uh the bitcoin cash podcast subreddit and also cash tokens uh subreddits obviously we'll have links in the description same as always because uh it's i'm really trying to get some traction uh going going on those do you have any other thoughts about the things people might want to know or might not consider from your view of moderating the the channel like sometimes obviously users can be a bit <laughs> upset sometimes that, oh this certain discussion is not being allowed or oh you know we need to discuss more about this or i see a lot of people they get um like if people get banned or, uh, you know, silenced for seven days, then they think the mod has a vendetta against them. And so then when they're seven day suspension or whatever, <laughs> they come back in and they say, oh, it's this same mod. He's after me again. Like yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a pretty thankless job, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm the admin, but I'm not like moderating every message. So, uh, because as I said, I, I'm, I'm trying to focus on the building, building software and like the prize and the Telegram discussions that, yeah, they often serve to, to be a distraction. So. Yes, yes. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but sometimes I get pinged from people like, is this guy is <laughs> being annoying for like the whole week in, in the chat. So maybe we should at least reach out or should uh, consider being a bit more strict on the policy. And, yeah, so sometimes it, something is brought up if, if there's like a real problem. But, most of the time it's smooth sailing that's good that's good that's good to hear and i like you know one thing i really noticed when i got back involved in bch was that some of that stuff like rbdc or even on twitter where it's a bit more public a lot of the community had sort of shrunk back from that and they'd found their way into things like telegram that were a bit more uh, cloistered off and the reason was because there was just so much uh toxicity and people complaining and blah 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 like so many uh, laser eyes you know complaining and you're a scam and all this stuff like under those uh, pressurized conditions everybody had to take a more defensive approach mm -hmm. and find sort of the good actors in mm -hmm. a place that was like higher proof of work to get into you know you had to mm -hmm. know where you were going to find it and i think we need to now that we're lucky we're in a good place where everybody's mostly happy and on the same page we need to be conscious of opening that bat up back up yeah, and trying to yeah. get out of those same telegram groups because that's not going to support you know a million people are not going to join that telegram yeah, channel yeah. and if they do then the, there'll be a mess of nobody will be able to understand what's even going on in there so yeah, I'd, I'd love for more people for example to create youtube videos and stuff uh, because yeah currently there's not not that much going on but it's combined it's like chicken and egg uh, we probably want more applications and then people will talk talk about it if, if people yeah people like to talk about applications and not like the blockchain layer uh, innovation so that will probably improve over the coming months yeah yeah i agree as we can 
see and, and probably part of the best things we can do is obviously we need people coming up like like this channel you know for who are making bitcoin cash specific content but really we need to get something exciting enough that all the sort of generic crypto mm-hmm. people are kind of like wow <laughs> let's do a feature on bitcoin cash because we haven't checked in with them in a while and it's kicking mm-hmm. off right so th- i think that's when we'll really know we're working is if the channels of ten thousand people or five thousand people or whatever the smaller kind of youtube channels that just track the price and talk about different cryptos if they start saying oh bch is looking good then they're kind of promoting <laughs> amplifying our, our signal for free and also to new audiences so to me that will be one massive sign of if we're starting to break through in terms of in terms of that development i'd say all right yeah. i wanted to talk a, a bit about this uh dystopian banking advances i saw this comment from Dr. Simon Godek, shout out to Chris Troutner, as it was uh, his thread that got me onto this. And he, this guy, uh, Simon Godek, uh, posted, my Brazilian bank at C6 Bank is now tracking my CO2 emissions from purchases, travel, etc., and strongly encouraging me to compensate monetarily for them. I predicted this development two years ago, and now it seems to be slowly coming true. Welcome to the dystopian world we live in uh, i really wanted to just bring this up and get your thoughts and also maybe jet's thoughts and obviously also the listeners you can think through this issue a bit is that this has been something that has been embedded into crypto ever since it was created really with the financial crisis like control your own money you know uh, censorship free um no authorities like that kind of stuff is sort of built in no agenda either it sort of is a bit um you know freedom inspiring by default but the whole point about the freedom is if you don't want to use it you can just not use it or there's not extra restrictions and so a lot of people have been saying for a long time look the banking system is going to start really trying to crack down and control what you're doing who you can send your money to obviously with the coronavirus stuff we saw the like the Canadian truckers, right? They were getting censored and things get into politics and things get messy and the sort of the control grid sneaks in there. And what a lot of people I'm sure would have just said, oh, no, that's just conspiracy theories or that doesn't apply to me or that doesn't matter. Maybe we're starting to see that encroachment expand to the point that it is going to start impacting just people who are unaware and just, oh, I'm just happily using my bank and then Suddenly it says, you've d- done too many CO2 emissions this month. You can't buy another, you know, steak dinner. Like, you just shut off or, or something like that, right? We're getting very close to that that line, which 10 years ago or five years ago, probably a lot of people would have thought was ridiculous. Do you, do you see this happening? And what, what's, what do you make of all this? Yeah, so... It's a bit weird uh, that the Brazilian bank is saying it. I wonder how many people are actually voluntarily paying for their carbon emissions to yeah to who to the bank or to the some green organization. So uh, first of all, I don't think this uh, this this is a this will have any any success at all. Uh, but yeah, of course, if they if they become more forceful about it, like as you said, placing limits on CO two emissions uh, or like hindering payments then that would be like a very bigger deal. Um, I think, yeah, the widespread censorship of, or also the, the privacy implications because they know everything you're buying to make this like CO2, CO2 overview. So yeah, that's probably, yeah, 
not not something everybody's comfortable with that your your bank yeah like being so so with with diagnosis into uh personal stuff um but yeah with the for example with the turkeys everything that's like slightly or like controversial you can easily be if your funds frozen or the controversial figures they i locked out of their banks and just uh have to yeah don't get access to the financial system anymore they they're like um for wrong thing they just get blocked so i think it's a a real a real threat uh they are not something that's easy to solve so like it's contributing to crypto we're like doing our part but uh yeah it's a it's a big problem and for us yeah i think it will only be become a bigger problem in the future so not not too hopeful uh not hopeful on the trend either Chad, do you have any thoughts on this? One thing that I certainly think about, uh, you know, um, in hindsight was we didn't we didn't get way into it. You know, this is not a political show. It's a BCH show, but obviously uh, technology and money and Bitcoin particularly is is quite a political thing. And I think back to some of those episodes we did during the lockdowns and we, you know, we had some chatting some of them about the truckers and you know we like like i'm saying we didn't go too ham on it didn't turn all into the political thing but i think we made our sort of opinion fairly clear and i think that's probably held up amazingly well in hindsight like i think anybody looking back at those episodes at that at that time would be like wow they that was pretty reasonable or, or got it pretty you know spot on i think at the time certainly Maybe not some of our listeners because they would be attracted to this content to begin with, but would some people in the world might listen to that and think oh, that was a bit much or this is a bit weird or whatever. But in hindsight, I think kind of the angle we were on was was clear, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so I think Canada is uh, uh, not in a good position. Like the people here are incredibly <laughs> passive and unless something happens overnight, people don't notice. So as far as like carbon offsets and taxes and all that stuff goes, there's already like uh, laws in motion to do carbon offset and taxing and stuff like that. But I'm pretty sure also when I flew with Air Canada, they would tell me this is your carbon emissions. And if you want, you could um, like donate X amount of money to a charity specifically for uh, reducing some of those carbon emissions. I don't mind if it's suggestions. I will mind when they start screwing with my transactions. If they say, this is too much, and so we've restricted your ability to spend your money, I'm not going to deal with a bank anymore. And I don't, I'm not too particularly concerned about the ramifications and inconveniences in my daily life. I'll find alternatives. But yeah, I can see this very much being a real thing here in the next five years, Max. Yeah, amen to that. You, you can find alternatives if you're looking. Yeah, I just, my one concern is that most people won't look for alternatives. They'll yeah. just suck it up and go mm -hmm. with it. Yeah, well, I just think, again, I don't want to get, you know, too deep on this really, but <clears throat> the whole element with the, the sort of the vaccines and there was... It, it it was getting pretty scary there for a while, right? Things have retreated. It seems like things got past a bit of a tipping point and society kind of walked it back, right? There was things went on long enough. There was enough pressure and, and so on 
that people thought, okay, that that was a bit much sort of common sense returned and, and sort of took hold at a certain point, right? But at least for me, uh, certainly the whole thing was a pretty scary kind of run-in. And mm-hmm. I think it's part of a broader a broader trend. And so when people are, you know, I think it's very easy for people who weren't perhaps as worried or as vigilant or as maybe impacted, uh, maybe they made different personal choices, maybe they were living in another part of the world, you know, everybody's in a different situation, um, you know, than I was, right? If they were a bit less impacted by that, it's kind of easy to go, yeah, it wasn't that bad, like in hindsight, you know, because <laughs> just as just as the screws were really starting to turn, it got backed off, right? And that's how you you push a population you push them to the point that they're at like breaking point then you ease off a bit but not back to where you started mm-hmm. just a little bit back and people are a bit more conditioned to that right and certainly there's an element of the crypto movement that is kind of like we're on a clock here we got to get we got to get traction we got to get it happening because the government is slow and incompetent but they got a lot of money <laughs> they've got unlimited money and they get there in the end so if we're not on the front foot and not getting people into, you know, crypto and, uh, you know, the, it's just an eternal battle really for, you know, freedom and privacy and people's human rights. Then slowly but surely CBDCs are going to roll out and the controls are going to increase, right? I saw when all the COVID stuff first hit, I saw what I, I'll consider a conspiracy theory because it, it at the time seemed so like um speculative like there was no evidence for it and it was just that these lockdowns specifically the lockdowns and the push or the mandates for vaccines weren't about you know public safety but just to test the population to see how far they'll do whatever they're being told um that has me like very concerned this is just their their testing bed like what if they'd rerun the experiment in five years they know what to do differently and uh i think over the past probably like three months i've really been focused on okay if i were to buy a piece of land just undeveloped land which country in the world would be best suited for that and canada's completely off the list there's some beautiful mm-hmm. nature here uh and i would love to find a nice like piece of farmland and settle down on but I wouldn't trust that at no point in my life I wouldn't be visited by some government agent being like, you know, I don't think we're at that wrong think yet. I think it's all still wrong speech. But uh, yeah, I wouldn't put it past them to come to my door one day and be like, we know you've been thinking these things. <laughs> Time to go. <laughs> I don't want to get stuck in Canada as a as a criminal, that's for sure. I don't think I've ever done anything wrong in my life. So, well... I, I don't think I've ever by your own standards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a that's the point. Legality, morality, it's all all a bit of a gray area. Once yeah. it's all a bit subjective. Once you get into it, but I don't think I've ever caused your conscience yeah. isn't uh, onto you. I don't think I've ever caused direct physical harm or loss. So I've never stolen, and I've never been violent towards anyone. And I think you know those two things. I should be allowed to go somewhere if I want to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Matthew, any uh, thoughts on any of this uh, to the extent, you know, again, it's not a political show, but I think it's important that we, we keep this theme running <laughs> in the in the discussion. Yeah, so yeah, I think it's very important to be like liberty minded 
um, especially with like yeah, Canada is a good example. Australia was also a good example during the like hysteria of uh, COVID. Just yeah, just happy, <laughs> just happy that uh, yeah, I would say that I'm not at those places, but uh, that would be a little curious. So I hope they they change they change their directions and uh, they will be become more uh, like. Skeptical of the government, I, I guess that's how I would put it. Um, yeah, I mean, my observation was I know uh, probably Bitcoin Jason and some of the other Bitcoin Cash uh, city people in in Townsville will be listening. And when I visited there and talked about this a little bit, I I wasn't there kind of uh, for long enough to get really deep on all of it, but I sort of got the impression that the degree to which the sort of controls were imposed and stuff in Australia prompted a sort of a severe response or a severe uh, wake up call, you might say, for a small section of the population. And then a lot of people stayed very apathetic, right? So it, it wasn't like, you know, the average person got 10% more concerned about government <laughs> interference in their life or something. No, it was like some people got a hundred percent more concerned and some people didn't get any more concerned at all. Right. They Mm. just thought, okay, well, this is just necessary or it was just a temporary thing or whatever. So I don't know. It's not necessarily a good thing. You know, I'm not uh, actually, I'm actually concerned about that in itself. You know, anything that is creating polarized minorities in society is generally for the worse, uh, mm-hmm. I would expect. But, uh, you know, on the other hand, um, if you're not having those conversations or if the people who are worried are doing, they're responding to something. They're not just, you know, inventing this. Like it's, it's they're responding to what's happening in the world. And there's always reasons for that. Uh, I just think, you know, that's something, that's something everybody can, can keep in mind. Um, yeah. Anyway, anyway, we don't need to go into it any more than that, but I, I think it's important to to touch on because I saw this come across my my feed now, and to the extent that this is, you know, crypto anarchist Bitcoin Cash podcast, we got we got to keep uh, keep abreast of those those kind of changes. I'm sure we'll be seeing seeing more of it with the CBDCs. All right. On a completely different note, uh, I've got stat of the week here, which is that Bitcoin BTC today about an hour and a half before uh this show started produced a 24.99 kilobyte block of 71 transactions and 115 dollars of fees with an empty mempool and i was just watching the you know blockchain stats as i want to do i saw this come up i thought we have to we have to talk about this on the show this is crazy a couple of weeks ago we were doing the show about ordinals and the BDC is getting a bit clogged up. Fees are rising. Maybe they're going to have a fee crisis. Like there was a lot of salt going on. Why are you guys spamming our blockchain? Oh no, I can't put through my BTC transaction. All of that was going on. And here we are, uh, you know, a month, month later, maybe a little more. And it's, it's empty. It's crickets on the BTC chain so the ordinals hype has kind of died down and i think this is just a really critical thing to highlight because uh people 
in the BDC chain, they might not realize how big of a problem this is, right? Because I think what happens is they get a surge of demand like ordinals. Everybody gets really excited sending it around. And the BDC people are like, oh, great. Look, we've got loads of demand for our coin. It's really important. We're still the king. We're still number one. And then the ones who want to transact with it, if they haven't left already, start thinking, oh, but it's all right. This just happens. You know, uh, it'll just, it's just having a busy period. It'll quiet down, right? And it has quieted down. So every time that happens, their level of panic, you know, is uh, mollified and they think, yeah, so it's all fine, right? And so then they're just a frog in the boiling pot of water that the chain never scales. There's never any, you know, uh, desire from the user base. Like we have to do something because every time it t starts turning into a crisis, people say, no, no, it's just fun. You just wait for it to go away. And it does. But the unseen consequence is that people move on to other chains, which is what has happened here. And so the BDC chain can kind of s stay the king, like it stays floating along at the top, but it's kind of slowly losing steam. I just thought this was a critical thing to make a point of. Um, do you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, so this is news to me. I didn't know that the ordinals usage, or at least the general usage of the Bitcoin blockchain is fallen off so much. Uh, but yeah, I think generally Bitcoin is in, in a very bad place. Uh, because they just yeah no innovation going on nothing to nothing to be excited about really the only thing that I I can see that would uh, solve a lot of these a lot of a lot of the problems with Bitcoin is the is they uh, if they really start adapting the drive chain concept to enable uh, side chains which I voted on by miners it would be the only way I see uh, Bitcoin still still being in a good a good place for the future but otherwise if it's not for side chains then I think Bitcoin is like completely, completely lost. I, I don't see any hope in the advanced lightning stuff with channel factories and watchtowers. And I think, unfortunate to say, but for those devs, but I think they're really wasting a lot of their efforts. And yeah, yeah and I hope those resources get redirected because it's really, in crypto, you see it a lot, uh, misallocation of capital. Uh, I think EOS, like the, the ICO, they got like, almost a billion in funding or something, something a crazy amount. And then you see what, what in Bitcoin Cash uh, people have to work with. So it's like, uh, yeah, it's it's very strange to me how how or why this is uh, allocated in this way. Uh, or for Bitcoin, I understand that there is a lot of resources going to, to stuff, even if it turns out in the end. It reminds me a bit of uh, all the, uh, how is it called? The meta... Uh, metaverse yeah metaverse uh, yeah now everyone is pivoting to ai but AI. <laughs> and not, not too long ago that was the big money hole was like the metaverse stuff and there's, there's so many big companies putting so much money into it like for what did was there even like one good thing that came out like one product it's so weird to me yeah maybe because of my economics background but to to see nobody can predict the future but like to put this much money into like so unproven technology with no yeah with nothing to show for it in the end i think it's yeah, pretty sad if those if all those those man hours and all those costs uh, all those money went into yeah something else instead to make the world a better place would, would have been better yeah. yeah economics is a very strange system in that way where the free market is like they said in the short term the free, uh, the stock market is a popularity contest and in the long term it's a weighing machine right that's mm -hmm. kind of how it is everybody can just 
And the amounts of money in some of this stuff is just ridiculous. It just goes to show that the people who have accumulated tons of capital, they've got some to burn. And who knows where it all goes thrown away into this giant black hole, right? And I mean, it's funny because, like you say, there is a bit of a cyclical trend. So crypto, that was the hype thing. Uh, then metaverse, that was the hype thing. Now AI, that's the hype thing. And in six months again, it's probably going to be crypto again. It'll be time for another <laughs> another bull run, right? So I think it's funny because a lot of people outside crypto say all this money goes into crypto is just wasted. That is true in some extent. There is a lot of scams and there is a lot of bull crap. But on the other hand, what they don't see is that there's a big round of investment that comes in. 90% of it gets washed away or dies, but the 10% of it that's real carries through to the next bull run and maybe like metaverses or, um, you know, VR or uh, AI is, is all sort of similar to that, right? Where there's a lot of stuff that suddenly seems exciting, but it doesn't actually find that much of a real use case or whatever money is propping it up kind of vanishes. <laughs> uh, but then when, it, when you find something later in a few years down the line and you're suddenly like, oh, wow, this thing... That is actually useful well that came about from all the testing and iteration and all the failures uh that, that passed by the wayside on that on that front right so that's kind of how i see it but i agree that it is pretty weird and it is pr pretty funny that mm. people get on such such bad tangents um with all of that okay so speaking of uh getting on a bad tangent we've got kind of a bit of a two-parter here the first part is gary gensler the head of the sec i should have told you before the stream jet we're gonna pull up this tweet there's a little uh clip of him in i don't know where where he is in some congress or the house of representatives or whatever there's some committee whatever's going on in america uh being grilled by this republican uh from north carolina called patrick McHenry. Uh, asking him whether or not ETH, Ethereum, is a security because there's been sort of indications from the SEC that uh, Bitcoin is not a security, it's a commodity. Of course, that's the worst. It should have been a currency if things had gone down differently. Maybe it could have got into that category, but it didn't. Anyway, it's a commodity. Uh, but then this Ethereum stuff, nobody <laughs> really knows whether it's a, a security or a commodity in this one guy, Gary Gensler, whose job it is to decide which one it is. Apparently he doesn't even <laughs> know. So we're going to hear this, uh, this clip. It's qu quite enlightening to listen to. Well, thank you, Chair Gensler. I'll now also, recognize Matthew, myself. We're not going to be able to hear minutes. it. So uh, um, I'm just going to. Ether is one of the um, most popular digital assets and powers the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, back in 2018, then SEC Corporation Finance Director Bill Hinman, Hinman uh, stated that he believed Ether was not a security. Uh, last yeah, month, really. CFTC Chair uh, Benham okay. expressed his view that Ether is a commodity. Uh, the State Attorney General of New York asserted in a court filing last month that Ether is a security. Clearly, an asset cannot be both a commodity and a security. Do you agree? Um, I, I it, actually all securities are commodity under the Commodity and Exchange Act. It's that we are excluded commodities. But I would agree that a security cannot be also an excluded commodity and an included commodity. I'm sorry, Chair, just to talk about the Commodity Exchange Act more precisely. 
Okay, so do you recognize, uh, how would you categorize ESA then? I think that the general sweep of what Congress did, not just in the 30s, but uh, as amended. I'm asking here, you, sitting in your chair now to make an assessment under the laws as exist, is ether a commodity or a security? Without speaking to anyone. I know you've okay. repeatedly said you're not going to speak to one, except you've spoken to one, Bitcoin. So I'm asking you to speak to a second one, the lar second largest market cap here. And speaking to the tokens, there's 10 to 12,000. If there's a group of entrepreneurs in I'm the asking about one. the public is anticipating a profit based on the... I'm asking a specific question, Chair Gensler. I said this in private. This should be no shock to you. I'm asking this question. Is, it an e is Ether a commodity or a security? And again, it depends on the facts and the law. And if there's a group of individuals... I'm asking about the, the facts middle. and the law sitting in your seat and the judgment you are making. And so, uh, uh, Mr. Chair, I think you, you would not want me to prejudge because I'm also... But you have prejudged on this. You've taken, you've taken 50 enforcement actions. We're finding out as we go, as you file suit, as people get Wells notices on what is a security in your view, in your agency's view. I'm asking you a very simple question about the second largest digital asset. What is your view? And my view is, is if there's a group of individuals in the middle, middle that the public is anticipating All right, so let me just ask a second question then. Do you think it serves the market for an object to be, to be viewed by the commodities regulator as a commodity and the securities regulator to be viewed as a security? Do you think that provides uh, safety and soundness for, for, for the product? Do you think it provides consumer protection? Do you, see, do you think it serves the value of innovation? I think no should be a very simple answer for you here. I think that uncertainty is bad, is it not? And I think that Congress has said that there's one agency, the Securities and Exchange Commission, under this committee. And you won't answer my question, and you're the head of that agency. So give me a break. Come on. I'm answering it in the generic because you would not want me to speak about any one set of facts and circumstance. Okay, so, but you've already spoken. Have you said anything about Bitcoin? Uh, the, the, my predecessors and the agency itself has spoken to them. Okay, so you're not willing to do the same about Ether. I okay, so let me just step back. There's a lack of clarity here in the marketplace. Can you at least agree to that? I think that the clarity is there. The law is clear. All that right. There's a group so let, of individuals let me, let me be, who Let me be explicit on. about this. The market doesn't see it. Your regulatory actions and the CFTC's regulatory actions say that there's a great deal of uncertainty here. It is the intention of this committee to fix that uncertainty and actually uh, provide a sound legal basis for this. So that was very spicy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just ridiculous, right? This is just straight up bullshit. Whenever you see something like this, I sort of wonder how there are people who think, yeah, no, the government, that's a fair and reasonable <laughs> like <laughs> enterprise because you just watch a clip like that and it's just... It's just rubbish. He's he's like, is it a commodity or security? He can't give him an answer. And he's trying to play all these sort of semantic games about, oh, the law, and I don't want to make a decision because it's not entirely clear. It's like, you're the one who has the power to decide this, and you're deliberately not deciding. Why? Not because you don't know the answer. It's because you, you want to just be able to keep it vague because as long as they can keep it nice and vague, well, then they can go around and just... Uh, pull up whoever they want on and just uh, as they go just make it arbitrary that's not how the law works the law is not some 
arbitrary thing that you just get wrecked by undefined, unspecified laws in perpetuity because the regulators decide not to, you know, give you any clarity. That's just complete bullshit. But that's what's happening, right? I don't know. What do you think? Do you to make you laugh at least, Matthew? Yeah, this was a funny description. Indeed, you can get wrecked at any moment in perpetuity for uh, something undecided. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Are you certain that certain that uh, this is this is? Would it be even worse if it was just uh, classified as a security? Or do you think the current uncertainty is the worst outcome? Well, I think probably. I sort of think that the current outcome is the worst. Okay. I, I just have that sense. I mean, it depends who for really. Like if you say this is all going on in the US and so everybody outside the US is just going to keep powering on. That's the ultimate resiliency of crypto decentralization, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Is just like if they can't get their ducks in a row, then whatever companies or trade or whatever, whatever situation has to be worked out. Whoever is involved will work it out. They'll move to a different country. They'll register somewhere else. They'll do whatever they have to do, right? Uh, so maybe they're just shooting themselves in the foot in America. But on the other hand, I feel like even if they gave an unfavorable ruling, like as far as I can tell, most crypto people sort of seem to hope that it would be a commodity or at least not a security. Mm -hmm. Even if they said that, well, then at least that would be established and then the people who get involved in doing all this lobbying and stuff, people like Coinbase and whatever, who are materially impacted, then they can say, this doesn't make sense because X, Y, or Z, right? Mm -hmm. Once somebody's taken a position, then yeah. you can argue against it. But it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, while everything's still vague, then we're still stuck at this stage of just, can we get to the fucking step one? Yeah. Shooting exposition, both the security and a commodity at the same time. <laughs> exactly. And it's just... It's just arbitrary. It's just so shocking to see. It's like the rule of law doesn't really mean very much if you just have arbitrary enforcement like this. It's it's just the basis of, of the entire system that everybody is agreeing to cooperate by, like, is so corrupt at this level. I, I don't know. Personally, I mean, a lot of people enjoyed this clip and they're all, you know, it got shared around a lot. A lot of people, ha, 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 this is like very funny. There is a comedic element to it, right? <laughs> and I can certainly see the angle that, okay, it's comedic how incompetent all the government is. And I think there's also somewhere in here an empowering message about, you see, this is like play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Why we can't waste time arguing with these people? It's pointless. <laughs> You're just, the whole game is to just gaslight you and just keep you in this endless cycle of bullshit. You just got to ignore that, forget it all, yeah, it's and a real just skill. crack on. Right? It's a real skill how he manages to do, never answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Exactly. He's saying like, I don't want to speak to this specific case. He's like, no, no, let, we're talking about this specific, <laughs> specific case. How many weasel words, like how long could this go on for? And you can hear him getting a bit frustrated at how like yeah. ridiculous it is, right? So... Anyway, I mean, I think most listeners to this show will understand that that is just complete bullshit. But uh, I think it's important, you know, that that conversation is ongoing around the regulation uh, and whatever, and people should be paying attention. And mm -hmm. for anybody who is particularly American, <laughs> I know we have a lot of American listeners when I look at the world map of where our downloads uh, come from, you should be, you know, paying attention to this in your local political environment if it influences you know the way you 
your vote or well, I guess I can't really tell you how to, you know, how to vote or what to take into consideration. But I, I think this is something definitely worth considering. And then we've got sort of a two-parter here because the meme of the week is also on this. It's a meme about this. It's on this same topic. It's uh, about Gary Gensler's <laughs> decision-making process. It's going to be a little harder for the uh, audio listeners to follow, but just bear with it. It's got an excellent soundtrack and we'll sort of explain it a bit afterwards. <laughs> it's time to decide on what's a security. Let's go. Right, so you have the clip there of uh, this guy pretending to be the Honourable Gary Gensler and sort of in their office playing this, I don't know, stupid games like with a sort of darts and a, um, what do you call it, bow and arrow, mm-hmm. plastic bow and arrow to decide what's a security and what isn't. So Dash was a, a security, that was a bullseye. And then the <laughs> library, who've also been sued and all that, uh, they they were also a bullseye. Algorand, they were kind of a hit as well too. But then I just love the way he says with that accent, do you have a fat bag of Algorand? <laughs> it's, it's so funny. <laughs> oh, man. And then uh, they got onto Ethereum was the last one and it kind of hit the edge. And so they were debating about that. But I just, this is just, this is the comedy in this situation, right? <laughs> you've got to, you've got to laugh. I love that these guys just went out and just whipped this up in like a couple of, mm-hmm couple hours like this is some strong meme production happening <laughs> right here i would say right I, I think this comes from um there was a there's an australian channel uh the guy that runs it is adrian allenberg i believe uh and he did a meme that went viral like five ten years ago now and it was like how vice writes their articles and it's just a dude who's sitting in an office thing like this and some guy comes in he's like all right we gotta we gotta whip out the next article what are we gonna do and he just grabs like uh those uh like suction cup dildos and he covers his eyes and just starts throwing it at a wall and it's like ketamine uh uh small village in africa uh violent gangs and it's like okay the ketamine violent gangs from south africa <laughs> i think that was the inspiration here i got a lot of those vibes all right yeah yeah yeah. well it reminds me also of uh you know south park has that famous one where they cut the head off the chicken like people repost that that clip so much of whatever it is the banks are melting down like what are we gonna do and the regulator's like we're gonna cut that on this chicken and then it goes on this sort of game board and it gets onto bailout and they're like bailout <laughs> it's it's that exact same like thing happening and it just it's just so ludicrous and arbitrary the whole thing that it, i think it, yeah sometimes comedy just cuts right to the heart of the truth right that's what comedy is mm-hmm. about so it's it just i don't know matthew what did you think 
Yeah, I noticed that by gay friends you're talking about. And yeah, sometimes it seems like it is actually how they make decisions. Um, yeah, it's good. Indeed, I agree that it's, uh, it's good, uh, good uh, well done uh, from them to whip it up in a few hours after, <laughs> after the real clip. Yeah, yeah. It just, it just goes to show, yeah, how, I mean, who knows, like, he, Gary Gensler is probably on the pay by somebody, you know, yeah. in the anti-crypto lobby or whatever. There's obviously something going on because yeah. if everybody was above board, he would just give an answer. And it's like, this is, and you know what, you know, what really grinds my gears as well. We're having a lot of like Jeremy rants this episode, but uh, that you then have people who are like, complaining and bitching and moaning about oh crypto they're doing this or the people are not following the rules or whatever it's like look to the extent that we are trying to fucking meet you halfway we're getting absolutely nothing so you've kind of you know created your own noose if at a certain point crypto mm -hmm. people are just like fuck you we're just gonna do it like try stop us right of course that attitude is built into crypto because Anytime mm -hmm. you try and negotiate, you just get bogged down in bullshit and you're like, you're being disingenuous. It's literally the exact same thing that happened with the block size war. Yeah, I was about to say. That same thing of like. With the secret to X. Meet in the middle, yeah. You can't, you just, when you're dealing with somebody who's just trying to like got ulterior motives and just the gaslighting and delays mm -hmm. and whatever is going on, at a certain point, it just gets down to like, this is not work. Yeah, <laughs> so. I don't know. Anyway, that might be a repeating uh, pattern. So, uh, you know, everybody should just look out for that in their in their lives. Okay, community comment of the week. This one is from Foad, who's been on the show, a regular listener, uh, top chap. He, uh, <laughs> he posted in the Telegram group with chilling in my future house in VR. So he's got this nice VR room like living area set up and he's got the Bitcoin cash podcast mm -hmm. playing on his fake uh, virtual <laughs> uh, flat screen. Uh, for, he's in the chat right now. <laughs> Shout out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I made uh, this made me laugh so much because I, I wasn't exactly sure what the angle was here. Firstly, I found it amusing because I experienced the podcast like as being on it, right? But I thought, yeah, people watch their NFL uh, yeah, games on and they, yeah, on a big screen, right? So maybe it's like prime time viewing. You've got to watch the Bitcoin Cash podcast. I don't see yeah, why so, not. So I was going, Metaverse did amount to something uh, at least. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. You were roasting it before, but you know, Fo is in there watching the Bitcoin Cash podcast. So all those billions of dollars, we got some quality innovation out of it. You know? That's amazing. And then we've got, and I just also thought it was funny because he said, in my future house. So it was kind of like, okay, so in one sense, if he makes millions, uh, you know, or, you know, gets rich off BCH, then he can have the house and get the flat screen and everything and do it for real. But then yeah, on the other so hand, much, so much the BCH podcast. <laughs> that's right. But then on the other hand, it's like, well, we would it be any better if you like if it's already if it's already there, it's already on the flat screen. Is is it just it sort of became a bit of a philosophical insight for me, you know, as to uh, how much better is flat screen VR versus real life VR, real life mm -hmm. VR, you get, you get more of a, mm -hmm. uh, accomplishment, you know, you get more of a dopamine hit probably because you know, it's not fake. Right. But it's like Cypher eating the steak in the matrix. Does it matter? 
if you didn't know, you know, uh, is, is, is a simulation only worse because you, you don't think it's a simulation anyway, that's <laughs> anyway. A different, different podcasts. That's the philosophy, <laughs> the drunk stream that we got to do maybe like <laughs> episode a hundred or yeah. something like that. We'll have to do, have to do on, but, uh, anyway, <laughs> oh, I'm glad you, Glad you're enjoying uh, the podcast in the metaverse. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad we made it over there. That's that's absolutely amazing. Right, message to the community: our uh, perennial uh, second last segment. So, as you know, chat to the community, open platform, whatever you think they need to hear. Oh, for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just free talk. Go on. Oh, okay. Um. Yeah, first of all, I would encourage everyone to be to get involved and take initiative because those were the, the two things that really helped me. So take initiative, uh, help out where you can, um, try to be more involved and don't be afraid to, yeah, to just reach out to people, ask questions. Um, yeah, because if I could do it, like self-teach self uh, programming uh, to, to bring the circle back, uh, full circle. Yeah, I, I would motivate any anybody else to also uh, try the journey and uh, yeah, maybe build something, see how it goes, see if you like it. Um, maybe yeah, or contribute. Everybody can contribute in his own way. Um, we also need a lot of yeah, product people, marketing people, ID people. Um, and one thing that I that I didn't mention the show, and I'm also very excited about, is the the concept of prediction markets, or maybe I mentioned it once, because that's another thing uh, enabled by cash tokens. And I think it has a lot of liberty uh, implications, uh, all the prediction market stuff. So I, I would also encourage everybody to um, to learn about prediction markets. Maybe they could uh, also so, solve some of the misallocation we talked about before. Um, so we, we can predict the future better in advance and aggregate everybody's uh, everybody's perception of what the future will look like. So that's one thing that uh, I think, yeah, that's Jason's big idea for Bitcoin Cash to build prediction markets. And I'm very excited for, for his vision. So um, he really started at the bottom layer, but he seems to be working his way up. So uh, I'm excited to see what else he brings in the, in the coming years. Uh, and I'm very excited to, to do, for the Cash Tokens launch day. So I hope there will be a stream or something, or at least a... There will be. I can say that. Oh, okay. Involved so, in. Would be happy to uh, organizing that. So. Oh, okay. Super cool. So would be happy to to join. I'd be. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So uh, I guess I I'll talk to you then again in uh, 20, 23 days. <laughs> yeah. On that uh, on that note about the prediction markets. Yeah, I think that's uh, insanely powerful, and it's one of the things that it's possible on Ethereum. But I know that uh, there was some projects that uh, were looking into that. There's one called Augur. I think there was a couple others. Yeah, and they basically, one I followed. Okay, all right. Uh, well, yeah, maybe if you know the details, like let it let us know. But just the impression I got was they kind of got going and they were like, "This is a pretty cool idea." But just as they were sort of starting to get some pra traction, the fees went up and it suddenly yeah. was unviable, right? So then they mm -hmm. had to move out of the ETH ecosystem and then they lost all the network effect and momentum yeah, that was exactly. going on. And then it kind of was back to square one, right? Yeah, so Ethereum, the Ethereum ecosystem is yeah, very interesting because it is so frictionalized because they all need layer twos. 
like a bit more optimism or you have like 20 or 25 different layer two solutions on ethereum now even coinbase launched their own layer two for ethereum but all these like fracture the network effect so, so much so a liquidity pool on one layer two can't interact with any any other thing on on any lending or borrowing protocol and other so just like your network effect and even your wallets and your all user base is like fractured into all these like almost other coins except they have the same volatility but they are totally different ecosystems so yeah this is i think this is very interesting for ethereum but it's also another yeah it's a it's a roundabout way to fix the scaling problem so let's just like launch 20 different layer twos and then every one of these can take some of the users but none will have the network effect so that's why i'm also very optimistic that bitcoin cash can have like all, all transactions on main we can still have side chains but i mean the the throughput of the layer one uh, will be large enough that we don't need all these extra layers just for scaling yeah i've seen an interesting uh narrative sort of popping up that people have been discussing and, and been a bit of chat about this and that with uh people worried that ethereum is kind of uh toppling over or at least you know getting into some murky waters and this is not the usual uh bdc maxis don't like ethereum but you know people people maybe from from the ethereum side mm -hmm. saying guys we need to think about this carefully that uh in having so many layer twos that the original plans which were to upgrade the layer one and then layer two was kind of like a bonus it's mm -hmm. now sort of over time turning into layer two is the primary plan yeah. and layer one is kind of you know we don't we kind of got as far as we're going to go with that and that as you have that happen uh there's kind of a process where people's minds you know the mind share shifts and yeah, then on top of that the money shifts so yeah. then everybody starts putting all their money into the yeah, tech and the twos, yeah. and becomes layer twos right so then layer one becomes a bit neglected so then it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because nobody's working on layer one nobody's trying to fix it nobody's trying to improve it or whatever and all the innovation is moved on to the next Mm -hmm. layer and so then everything just becomes a bit stagnant and then if you have a problem on layer two then what you kick the can up to layer three that's kind of <laughs> seems to be what the bdc people are doing right their lightning network isn't really getting there so they're kind of like Ch chow me and mints we're gonna <laughs> that's gonna fix everything or federated uh channels or <laughs> whatever right they, they're yeah. trying to pull the next rabbit out of the hat mm -hmm. and it's just a bit nonsense so um Anyway, that's something maybe we'll we'll talk about more on the show if if that kind of comes to <laughs> comes to pass a bit more in the broader crypto space. But just a heads up uh, of what's sort of trending trending thought, I would say in the in the crypto community that I've I've noticed being stirred up. Right, so supporter appreciation. This now has its own slide. We've got the patrons, Ricky and HP. Thank you very much. You're absolutely amazing. And our sponsor, General Protocols. Check out bchbull.com. They have recently added a bunch of different stuff, but one thing they added was a premiums page, which I was playing with this morning, and it's amazing. So <laughs> go and check that out. If you yeah. haven't looked at BCH Bull in a while, you can go on it and it tells you all the different pairs and hedging all along, and then it just says, um, you know, like which ones are in demand, basically. So the ones that are heavily in demand, you might have to pay a premium for, like maybe it's 1% to uh, lock, you know, Chinese yuan, which they also added, uh, you know, with 2x um, leverage for three weeks, right? Maybe that costs 1%. Uh, 
but some of them can be in positive because they have too much demand on one side. So you can actually put your money into a contract, either hedging or long, depending on uh, what the market conditions are. And in doing that, they will pay you to open the contract, right? Even more than the, than the cost of the fee of opening the contract. So like, uh, I, the one I did was like one, 1.5%. So it cost me half a percent to open a contract but they immediately paid me. So I sent in the BCH for my contract and then I immediately, like the transaction came back, you know, straight away, but then they paid me 1.5% for being in it. So the contract may or may not work out, but I've essentially already got a, a discount from it. I was mind blown. I was thinking this is the best thing ever. And as, um, as volumes ramp up on that, as more and more people are, are using this, especially as big players start using any hedge, those premiums will essentially mean if you're just a punter, you can profit off if the, all the big players want to go hedge, they will essentially pay you to go long and vice versa, right? So that was just super cool. So check them out, bchball.com. Yeah, I know we, we both did some testing of the BCH bull once it was still in alpha or something, and the product has really improved a lot. So also the UI, but just the general general flow. Uh, yeah, it's come a long way already. They've been taking a lot of uh, a lot of criticism and a lot of like a lot of user feedback is what I meant to say. It's not people have not been saying your thing sucks as much as when people say, look, we want this or change this or whatever, they really make it a priority. And like this premiums page, that was one of the things I suggested, a bunch of people suggested, and they've delivered it. So I've got, yeah, <laughs> I'm thrilled they're, they're doing, they're doing great stuff. I mean, it's still not, you know, mega, mega polished, like it will be in a couple of, couple of years, but at the rate they're improving, I'm so optimistic about that. Uh, and then we also have a new section of shout outs that we're going to give every episode to our flip starter. So I ran a flip starter for 20 BCH uh, to fun for anybody who doesn't know who didn't see that or, or what have you. And now, you know, so that's part of the monetization of this show because I thought everybody seems to be making money on Flipstarter. And while I was initially a little hesitant to do it and I have not jumped straight into it in the past, I thought, and I wrote about this in the Flipstarter, that the show now is at a quality and we get enough positive feedback from listeners that uh, that it would basically be worth it before, before this point, I sort of felt like, Oh, it's still a bit scrappy. We're still just doing it casually, you know, asking for money. That's a bit much. Obviously we did have the patrons and we got a sponsor, right. But we just, you know, flip started seemed to be where the money was. So I thought, okay, well maybe this is another way that we can contribute to the, the monetization of the show. And it's nothing to do with the show continuing. If the flip started not being funded, I'm not just shutting down the show and oh, it's not viable. So it wasn't like a threat or anything, but I just thought, okay, let's, let's see how it goes. It went really well. It got funded in like, uh, whatever it was 12 hours or something, definitely less than a, a day. In fact, I had a bunch of people say to me, Jeremy, like that was, that was too quick. I didn't get a chance to contribute. So if you're in that category, well, first of all, you can donate anytime at bitcoincashpodcast.com and just send us BCH. But Secondarily to that, if you want to wait for the next one, there'll there'll be another one uh, almost certainly. So the flip side we did was 20 BCH for episodes 76 to 85. 
of the show. And uh, one of the things in there was that anybody who donated at least one BCH could get a shout out at the end of every show. So that's what we're here doing now. So shout out and thank you very much. Really appreciate it to Majamalu, which is Marcelo, Renegade, Cheapy, aka Cheap Lightning, Emergent Reasons, Unspent.app, Molecular, Bitcoin Cash, Audist, and Mini Satoshi. Thank you very much for your support via the Flipstarter. Been amazing. And that pretty much does it for the show. So we've got to do the uh, shout outs. Firstly, you can go check out BitcoinCashPodcast.com, the start guide, FAQs, links, and all of that are available there thank you everyone for watching matthew do you have any shout outs you wanted to give and uh, where can people find more of you um so the best place to follow me is probably on twitter um and thank you for having me on i think that's the main thing i still wanted to say uh, i had a, had a blast being on so and then to, please stay out the web wallet i love to get some feedback and it's a chance to play around with cash tokens early so then you'll be as much an expert as anybody because you have used it before anyone else. <laughs> yeah, be on the cutting edge of innovation. Yeah, Share exactly. any shout outs? Uh, I do have one. So this shout out is to Chris Troutner. I was complaining in one of my Telegram groups about some raccoons that I've got getting into my compost. And he was mm. like, hey, seaweed's a good deterrent. So went out to the ocean, got some seaweed. No raccoons last night. Seems pretty promising. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And my shout out, it's hard because I often have things that during the lead up to the episode, I think, oh, I should shout out this or that. And then by the time we get to the end of the episode, I've completely blanked on it. I'm going to have to start writing them down or putting them on the slides or something like that. But I think probably anybody who's been involved in either funding or working on some of the flip starters especially the technical ones like uh separately to this there was also a flip starter that Callan ran for the electron cash cash tokens integration for 68 bch and that also got funded in under a day and so uh, that's amazing because electron cash is definitely one of the best wallets especially the desktop one and with cash tokens is going to be so big like we're, we're going to need that and i'm just so excited to see that like people who are contributing regularly to the scene who are putting up results if they run a flip starter it it just gets gets funded right so that's such a good good sign i think people are becoming more judicious about where they have resources to allocate you know they're not just throwing it at anybody who's just passing by and says i'm running a flip starter and just the whole process of running a flip starter was kind of exciting enough for people to give it a punt in the past i think you know, thankfully that that phase seems to be ended. Yeah, People have at some to be... point, at some point, there seem to be like a few low quality uh, projects that also took off. But for now, for the cash tokens brigade, it really seems like the initial way to get like developers and important projects uh, funded. So I hope still we can move to something more entrepreneurial where people like can earn their own money with their projects. But for the time being, I think Flipstarter over the last few months for everything cash tokens related has been an essential part of the ecosystem. Well, there's certainly some, yeah, use cases where it's more suitable than others. And like on this, on this show, right, it's not mm-hmm. um, just the flip starter. You know, we have the patrons, we have the sponsors. Sometimes people donate, uh, you know, just one-off uh, donations. And we're also sort of slowly getting there with the Twitch and YouTube ad revenue, you know. So there's a few different 
different things. So in that in that way, the flip start is kind of supplemental. And I think that can be nice that maybe that's how we'll see the scene develop. And I think also because people in the ecosystem know that the flip starter exists, you know, maybe people who do contribute to flip starters, like start to sort of set aside money and just say, you know what, uh, I'm going to, you know, have this money. And when a good flip starter comes up that I believe in, I will contribute to it like the electron cash one was for 69 uh or 68 bch but it had 29 contributors which i thought was pretty amazing you know that was Mm -hmm. everything from you know uh, a third of it all in one chunk or maybe a bit more down to somebody who only just put in a few sats but that power of that Mm -hmm. like funding is is so amazing without having a central platform it cuts out all that overhead so the efficiency on the money is very very high it's not if the person doesn't deliver of course so that's that's where the community has had to dial Mm -hmm. things in a bit but there's no uh friction and like if you're if you didn't uh contribute to our flip starter you don't want to or any other flip starter you don't even need to know what happened you just the things just magically kind of (laughs) emerge you know, they just get funded. Like it's all operates in a very smooth, decentralized way. So I think that's that's already yeah. been amazing. And just wait Things- till we've got cash tokens with this as well too. And you can get a receipt for your flip starter. Maybe somebody will start that you can build up a gallery of like all the flip starters you've contributed to. And that's how people will build up rep in the community being like, I funded this and I funded that. And like, that's going to be sick, right? Go yeah, on. <laughs> Well, like just getting into it. yeah, that, that's <laughs> definitely a possible use case. Um, uh, yeah, I made a demo for something like this uh, a while ago. So if anybody wants to run with it, I, I don't think I currently have have the time. And but I would love to see someone else uh, run with this. All right. Well, they can get in uh, contact with you about that, and who knows what we'll see with all the um, all the stuff coming in the future. Oh, but, and there was uh, one thing. Yeah, May fifth. Yep, yeah, one point on. I still wanted to make is you said that things magically, magically happen. And it, indeed, it seems as if things magically happen. But of course, there are people working hard behind the scenes. So uh, if, if I want to do a shout out to anybody, it's to the people behind the scenes who don't get much appreciation, but still put in uh, a lot of work, but just don't get uh, recognized. Yes, very, very true. And I want to, yeah, I mean, obviously, I agree with you. People, people do do tons of work. Uh, behind the scenes but if you are someone like that and you do feel like you're not being recognized or you're not uh being appreciated or whatever then maybe like stand up for yourself a bit in that way like consider if you're doing something really valuable find a way to promote it a bit more it can be as simple as you can come obviously talk to me send me an email jeremy at bitcoincashpodcast.com you can get in the telegram groups on reddit on twitter if you again, if you go to bitcoincashpodcast.com, there's like links to a lot of that stuff. Just uh, click around and you'll find it. So get involved and make some noise. And if you, you know, need to run a flip starter or something like that, even just for a small amount, like look into it and consider it uh, because that's that's how BCH should operate, right? Uh, I think people have been more selective about what they donate to over time, but I think people have still got a very generous spirit in terms of valuable contributions to the community. If you are doing something that the people value, you know, I think that will be recognized. Certainly if you can present it in the right way as well, there's an element of that, but that's also just a learning experience and more, you know, skills and uh, things you can learn too there. 
So yeah, that will do it, I guess, for <laughs> for all of that. Thank you one more time to all our Flipstarter donators as the new contributors show been amazing. And until next time. Until next time. Bankers captures all our cryptocurrency.